everybody. Welcome back to the second Pop Pantheon off week minisode. I really need to come up with a better name for this. If you have suggestions for the name of this episode, I am 100% open to hearing them. Uh, well, anyway, welcome back. Hope you guys are well. Hope you guys loved the Tony Braxton episode with Rich because I certainly did. And he's just such a wonderful guest. And I was so happy to be able to put the spotlight on Tony Braxton for an hour and a half. And I've gotten so many incredible messages from people who either like loved Tony and were so happy to be able to return to some of her music, I guess. And then from so many people that like really weren't that familiar with her and got turned on to some of her amazing output over the last, you know, 30 years, God. So, so glad people are liking the episode. Uh, again, as always, if you're liking Pop Pantheon, please follow us on Instagram at Pop Pantheon Pod. Follow me, DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on Instagram and Twitter. I have shows coming up, New York, LA, October 22nd and 23rd with Who Weekly uh, at the Bell House. Admissions free. RSVP links are in the show notes and in my uh, social media bios. And same goes for LA. Pop Pantheon Who Weekly Party in LA, October 28th. Uh, I think the guest list for that is kind of full at this point there might be a couple slots left so that's october 28th the address is in the rsvp link which is in my bio on instagram twitter and in the show notes of this episode so hope to see a bunch of you guys there would love to meet you all also as i say always please rate review subscribe to pop pantheon help this podcast grow i so appreciate it tweet instagram share it tell your friends whatever get this get it out there any way you can i really really appreciate your guys's help with that so that's that i'm going to get to some of the fabulous questions that you guys sent to me again if you have questions about pop about pop pantheon about Disputed tears. I get tweets from you guys telling me, oh my God, I can't believe that you put Ariana in this tier and like get mad at me about fucking Katy Perry and all this Katy Perry shit. Like, listen, send me questions, poppantheonpod at gmail.com. DM them to me or I put up AMA stickers periodically. Love your questions. And so here we go. Let me get into some of the questions that you guys submitted to me this week. All right. First question comes from Dorothy. I had an existential dread moment thinking, does Gen Z know Tamar but not Tony? Tamar isn't better known now than Tony, is she? Uh, to be honest, my initial reaction to this question is Gen Z doesn't know who either of these people are. Uh, Gen Z, as Rich pointed out in the episode, like barely knows who Madonna is. So I just have zero, like, I don't think they know who Tony Braxton is and Tamar I mean she did have a moment I guess with her solo career in the early 2010s but like that was I think kind of adult R&B oriented at that point I don't think Tamar was like having hits that were like popping off with Gen Z so I mean maybe they know if if they know them at all it's from the reality show I don't think either of them really I don't think Gen Z knows who either Tony or Tamar Braxton is I mean, if anybody in Gen Z is listening to this and, like, wants to dispute that with me, like, definitely write in and let me know. But, like, that's my intuition. And, you know, it's like, even putting Gen Z aside, I think Tamar had her moment, but, I mean, Tony's a legend. So I think if if you are people that know who, who either of them are, you know, I don't think Tamar's moment, like, 
usurped Tony's in any way. Actually, there was a little thing in the episode I cut about where Rich compared Tamar's sort of like come up to like the moment when Janet kind of usurped Michael and I like had to shoot that down. I was just like, that's not what happened like Tamar had a couple like R&B radio hits like Janet had a legitimate moment where she was the biggest pop star on earth so yeah I don't think Gen Z knows who either of them are unfortunately so that's my answer to your question and again if I'm wrong about that Gen Z like if there's any Gen Zers out there that want to like get at me and be like Tamar is an icon of the TikTok generation I mean sir she is, right? I mean, I don't know. Anyway, feel free to let me know if I'm wrong about that. But my intuition is Gen Z doesn't give two shits about who the Braxtons are, period. Unless they, like, came up watching the TV show. That's my vibe. All right. Next question is from Garrett. Garrett is wondering, what are my thoughts on the Aaliyah rollout and what songs... Again, another Gen Z question. What songs do you think Gen Z will latch on to? Or is the theme of these questions, like, millennial angst about Gen Z and, like, that we're old? That's like the vibe I'm getting is like, which understandable. I have that vibe too. We are old and like, it's a little bit frightening. Uh, so that's the theme of this week's questions is millennial existential dread about aging. What are my thoughts on the Aaliyah rollout? I thought the Aaliyah rollout was like well done. Like, I mean, I sort of thought it was, it was more kind of like thought out than I expected it would be. Like I always thought like when it happened, they would just sort of like fall from the sky, like surprisingly onto streaming services and everyone would be like, wait, what the fuck? So the fact that it like got announced and they like did it album by album and like it felt like an event. I mean, I guess the question is like, how do you promote a release by an artist that isn't around to like do promo for a release? So like when JoJo re-recorded her albums, which were also on Blackground. You know, it's interesting. There's a connection here. Tony, JoJo, Aaliyah, they, the reason all of their records got held hostage, Tony had a lot of her mid-period, uh, well, I guess mainly just uh, Libra, and then obviously the, the two major JoJo albums, and then uh, obviously all of the big Aaliyah albums were held hostage by this record label Blackground, which was run by Aaliyah's uncle. And so they, there's a connection here between the last question and the Tony episode and Aaliyah. Uh, and so, yeah, what I was saying is like when Jo, when Jojo re-released all of her albums and she re-recorded all of them and released them, you know, it like felt like, a, you know, there was stuff she could do to promote that. I guess like, what are you going to do? Like Aaliyah's not here to do like live performances or interviews or whatever. So yeah, I thought the rollout was like well done. Although like, I guess I feel it's complicated because we still don't know like how her family feels about like it coming out and they have a weird relationship with the uncle and we don't and like I think the financial situation and like how much they're being compensated the estate her estate is being compensated is still kind of not known to us so there's like a complicated feeling I guess there a little bit about like is this kosher but in terms of just like the music coming out yeah I thought it was I thought it was well done I guess like in thinking about it a little bit like having a really well-made doc about her is something that like, I think would be interesting. Again, I think it would need to be like sanctioned by the estate. I don't know. I, I, I think there's just like still a lot of sort of complicated things around like the relationship between Aaliyah's uncle who like controls the masters of her recordings and has, you know, ostensibly been the person that like hasn't wanted to pull the trigger on releasing this on some level. And then her family, which I guess, I don't know. It's, it's confusing. It's a quagmire. But in terms of just the music coming out, I thought it was a decent rollout. And I was certainly extremely excited to finally have access to some of my favorite music 
uh, of the early 2000s and late 90s on streaming finally instead of having to like load them onto my iPhone from like the CDs I bought of Aaliyah when I was like in middle school. So I thought that was good. What songs do I think Gen Z will latch onto? You know, Aaliyah's influence is pretty profound. I mean, and direct. I don't, you know, sometimes we're talking about artists and we do this on this podcast where it's like, oh yeah, we can draw like a line between this artist and, you know, uh, of the past and current artists. And it's like a little bit of like a stretch or it's just like a little bit opaque maybe on some level or a little bit sort of like, you know, not as direct and easy to hear. I think Aaliyah's influence is, like, very easy to hear. Like, you can hear it on SZA. So, like, like SZA is such an obvious artist that's, like, drawing directly from the same, like, sort of palette as Aaliyah and... and or Normani. I mean, Normani's single wilds, I literally, like, directly cribs and samples one in a million, the Aaliyah song, you know. So, so much of the contemporary R&B is, like, paying homage to Aaliyah and in a direct way. So I could really see Gen Z l- l- latching onto it. And the other thing that I was going to say is that I think like when, uh, I, you know, I just recorded an episode on a pop star, uh, which I'm not going to reveal right now, but it, I know it's one you guys are going to be excited about, whose main sort of operating principle is coolness. And that was Aaliyah's main operating principle as well. Like that was her sort of ace card was just that she was the coolest. And I kind of feel like when you are a pop star that operates under the guise of coolness as your main thing, you have a much like wider berth to remain relevant for longer. Like if you are cool and like what you were cool at doing, which is like what Aaliyah, one of Aaliyah's strengths was, was like picking the coolest sounds, knowing like what was the cutting edge, whatever your like chances of remaining relevant are higher. And like in contrast to some people like Gaga and Katy Perry artists that I love, but who like coolness wasn't, isn't really the thing basically like, you know, you get seen sooner as kind of like a, has been or something that like isn't relevant sooner. So what songs particularly do I think Gen Z will latch on to? I don't know. I mean, all of her second and third records are like sound pretty fucking amazing still. So like Rock the Boat is a song that I feel like sounds just as kind of contemporary as it ever did. And I don't know, songs like Loose Rap and I Care For You. These are all songs that like Normani, SZA, Tiana Taylor... Rihanna, all these artists are like directly paying homage. I mean, if you look at songs like Needed Me, I mean, all these all, all huge songs of the last few years like are so directly paying homage to the great Aaliyah songs. Weirdly more, I think some of the static songs and the Timberland songs, I mean, the Timberland beats are so specific that I feel like that's a little bit like, I don't hear a lot of like contemporary producers like paying homage to Timberland, but definitely the static songs on the third album sound, you know, utterly contemporary in many ways. I mean, I guess one in a million does sound like I, I just said Normani sampled it, but yeah. So I, I see songs like rock the boat, loose rap. I care for you. You know, these are songs that, you know, don't even sound particularly dated to me, honestly. So I hope Gen Z discovers them and I hope that her not being on streaming for so long hasn't like hurt her legacy in the way that like, if it had been available sooner, perhaps like, contemporary audiences would be more cute directly cued in and able to like make the connection of her influence but yeah that's kind of the that's the vibe I have on that whole thing 
Next question is from May. Does an artist not having direct musical descendants hurt their legacy like Justin Timberlake? Uh, I'm going to quibble with the premise of this a little bit. I mean, I think, yes, the, the answer to the first part of this question is yes. If an artist, if an artist doesn't have direct descendants, yeah, I think that speaks to a lack of influence. But like most pop stars have direct descendants. I'm trying to like think if there's anybody I can think of that's like has no direct descendants. Like I can't really think of one. And also, I think Justin Timberlake has direct descendants. Like Justin Bieber being the most obvious one. Like Justin Bieber is not only pays sonic homage to Justin Timberlake, or at least like did in many instances. I mean, the song "Boyfriend" is literally. A, just, a complete Justin Timberlake homage, but his career trajectory, all the moves he tried to make in terms of maturing and becoming a credible musical artist, like that was all totally following the Timberlake template. So I think Justin Timberlake has musical descendants and pop star descendants, Bieber being an obvious one. I mean, Chris Brown. Uh, so maybe, I don't know, maybe like in the contemporary moment, like are there male pop stars that I feel like beyond Justin Bieber that are paying homage to Justin Timberlake? I mean, in some ways, you could look at, like, The weekend's falsetto as, like, in the lineage of Justin Timberlake, or, as, or I guess in, that they're both in the lineage of Michael Jackson. But, yeah, I think the answer to your question is yes. If an artist didn't have musical descendants, like, that would be, like, a knock to them. But I don't know. Most pop stars have – you can point to at least, like, some at least indirect musical descendants of them. But, yes, if they didn't have that, that would definitely hurt their legacy for sure. Or if it, I guess I guess what, more to your point, if it was less obvious, the less obvious it is, the maybe the more it hurts them. Not so much that, like, they don't have them, but, like, if it's not so blatantly obvious, like, in the way that, like, Janet Jackson has such an obvious influence on – so many pop stars careers and sounds like which obviously elevates her pop stardom uh so if it was like less obvious and you had to kind of work a little bit more to draw those connections yeah i guess that would maybe hurt their legacy for sure good question uh okay next livia asks who does the pop pantheon artwork the pop pantheon artwork is done by the incredible juan pilar who i highly recommend to you he's been incredible to work with he's done all the original graphics the new graphics we're working on a bunch of cool new stuff together including like a giant pantheon graphic that like shows where everybody's ended up so far and he's very talented and a joy to work with so juan pilar i'll post his info in the show notes um you should definitely hire him if you want to have uh, if you have need to have graphic design needs, he's been an absolute dream and I adore him. Follow-up question, merch. Yeah, I'd like to get merch together. You know, I have a lot of dreams for like what this podcast is going to be able to do uh, in the future. So yes, merch is on my mind and it's just about like finding the moment when it's like, seems like it's the right moment to like have merch. So on my mind. And if you guys have any idea for merch, I know someone suggested like a uh, t-shirt that says, uh, this is one of my favorite pop stars of all time because apparently that's something I say like on like 97% of the episodes. So that was funny to me. Um, all right, next is Johanna. Johanna, am I saying your name right? Johanna, Johanna on Instagram. Have you thought about a name for the listeners? What should we be called? You know, this is funny. I was actually hanging with my friend the other night and I was just noticing that like pop stars have stopped naming their fandoms. Like, I feel like it's not cool anymore. There was like an era where it was like every, every fan base had to have a name, like from the Selenators, which is one of the worst ones ever, to Believers and Hive and Little Monsters and Barbs and Directioners, whatever. So I feel like that's kind of stopped weirdly lately. I was just thinking of that randomly, like 
I feel like Olivia Rodrigo's fans don't have names. I feel like Billy's fans don't have names. I feel like Little Nas X's fans don't have names. And if those are kind of like the trio of Gen Z pop icons of the moment, like that's interesting that none of them have names. I guess and I was saying, I guess Megan the Stallion's name have has hotties. Uh, but my, as my friend pointed out, um, they didn't name themselves, which is different. Like, so it kind of like is an interesting reflection of like the dynamic shifting. Cause like maybe like maybe artists like Billy and Olivia don't want to promote this sort of like fan army that like takes down other fan armies and like feels like, like drunk on power. So, <laughs> so maybe this, the, there is a sea change that's gone on lately with the naming of the fan armies, but I would love to have my, my listeners named something. So maybe if anybody has ideas about that, I mean, like Pantheoners doesn't sound good to me. We need something more creative and fun and stupid. So if anybody has ideas for that, definitely like DM me or shoot me an email at poppantheonpod at gmail. Let me know what you think. I'd love to, we could brainstorm together. Also, maybe we could brainstorm that in the Discord next week after the episode. That'd be a fun thing to do. I'll put a note to myself to do that. Love that idea though. Um, Okay, last question comes from my girl, La 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 La, I love you. Thank you for asking iconic questions. This question is, what's the worst debut single of an artist that is iconic? And what's an artist whose debut single is still their best song? This is such a good question and something that I think about quite often. Um, Let's see. Do I want to start with the bad or the good? I think, like, if an artist's debut song, like, I is their best song. I think that that like tends to bode poorly for them (laughs) over their career. Like there's so many that you can think of that. Like their first song was their best song. Like, well, I don't know why I find myself wanting to say London bridge by Fergie. (laughs) Oh my God. But like, I think there's an argument, but like not always. Like I think there's an argument to be made that like Crazy in Love is the best Beyonce song. I mean, I definitely think it's top three or so. And same with Hit Me Baby One More Time. Like I think it's arguable in both of those instances that those are their best songs. Because uh, like, there's something about like, there, there's two types of artists. There's artists that kind of emerge fully formed like a Beyonce or a Britney. And then there's kind of like artists that need to like ease into their shit. Like Rihanna comes to mind in that mold. Like took her a few albums to figure out like what her thing was. Yeah. I mean, I think vision of love is another example. I mean, I know Mariah's released a lot of amazing songs, so I I don't want to say vision of love is best Mariah, but I think like you could make that argument that that's her best song. It's certainly an incredible song. Yeah. I'm trying to think like what other artists, like I think it like tends not to bode well for that artist's like discography writ large if their first song is their best song. So the next part of the question was what's the worst debut single by an artist that is iconic? I had a few that came to mind and the, the, the first one is kind of like, I wouldn't say it's not like a bad song, but the thing about Janet's career and not to keep bringing Janet up on this episode, but she is one of my all time faves is Janet had two albums before control that are like completely divorced from the Jimmy jam, Terry, like Sonic universe that was created on control and in all of her records moving forward. Uh, so in a lot of times, you know, I think even me who knows, like I think about control as her debut album. Cause it feels that way. And it is like the prototypical debut pop album, but it's not, she had two albums before that. And her first single was this, like, sort of silly, stupid song called Young Love that, like, you know, just is pales in comparison to, like, her great record. So. Love, love, for, so true, love, love, 
that's one that came to mind and like is complete i don't think anybody really remembers that um or thinks of that as her debut single a second that came to mind and this is a song that i know that the artist herself doesn't like because she said it recently is Nicki minaj's massive attack uh a wild fucking song that was such a funny area of Nikki's career where like she was established as on features and on her mixtapes as like this incredible sort of like next generation female rapper that was gonna you know finally be have success after like a huge drought period for female rappers but like she couldn't land on like a a sound for her like own projects like the the singles that came out before her debut album and all the songs on the debut album are so weird and all over the place she never really like was able to land on like what the Nicki Minaj solo sound was at that period in that period and I don't I would argue kind of never did really uh but that's a topic for the Nicki Minaj episode pending and forthcoming but yeah I don't know if she ever if Nicki Minaj ever really landed on what Nicki Minaj's sound as a solo artist really is she's always worked I think more fluidly as an accoutrement on a song, but yeah, massive attack is a fucking wild ass song in a, in a melange of wild songs. I mean, your love, check it out, check it out with Lil I am. I mean, there were so many random singles on that album until they got to super bass, which became like an unexpected hit. But yeah, massive attack. Definitely. Won. The one I think I'm going to go out on guys. And I mean, what is a pop pantheon episode without a like mini Katy Perry drag? You're so gay by Katy Perry. I mean, is there a worse debut single for so many reasons? I mean, it's a annoying pseudo Lily Allen song, like aesthetically, and also is just horrible in terms of what it's saying. It, I mean, it opens with the line, I hope you hang yourself with your H&M scarf. I mean, it's all about like, it's homophobic and... And it's just a horrible song. So Katy Perry, for everything I say about her, has made some fucking amazing records. I'm a total fan of a lot of her work. But this song has got to be, in recent memory, the worst debut song by an artist that is iconic. And I will say Katy Perry is iconic. So for everybody that gets at me all the time, iconic artist, you're so gay. Although, you know, not to discount the Katie Hudson era, <laughs> the Christian, whatever. But in terms of Katy Perry's debut single, I think You're So Gay is the worst debut single in recent memory by an artist that became iconic. So let's go out on You're So Gay. Guys, thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, send your questions to poppantheonpod at gmail.com or DM them to me. And I will see you guys next week for a main episode. Bye-bye. You're so gay and you don't even like boys Besides the deal, secretly you're 